Well, good afternoon and thank you for joining me again today for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here and we've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at our Harvard Business Review tip. Today's one is Delegate Your Work Without Fear of Resentment. We'll also be having our chat with Christina for our Minute on Innovation moving forward. But right now we're going to have a chat with Wendy Foster from the Family Business Australia, which is a membership-based not-for-profit association providing the education, qualified business advisory networks and the personal support system for families who work together in business. Good afternoon, Wendy. Hello, Julian. Thanks for joining us today. So I suppose the first question we want to know is uh, how big is the uh, family business sector in Australia? Well, much bigger than most people would think, Julian. In fact, family businesses account for around 70% of all businesses in Australia. Um, that's in a huge percentage and much larger than I realised before I started working with the sector. But it actually accounts for almost half a million individual businesses. So consequently, you know, the success of those businesses is quite significant um, to the Australian economy, our society and our communities. So my next question was going to be how valuable it is. Is it to the sector, to Australia? But obviously that's really been answered, hasn't it? Well, no, it has a dollar value as well. So we can say that it's valuable in terms of um, the, the connection and, and the, you know, the relationships that we have in the society. But um, there's a dollar value that's been put on it as well. That's $4.3 trillion is the Whoa. estimated wealth of the sector. I can't think that um, big. <laughs> No, no, I, I'm with you. It's, it's, it's very nice as well. But the interesting thing is that it's um, sort of broken down into, into generations, I guess. Um, so the fact that we have a bubble of baby boomers at the moment who are heading into retirement means that their wealth, which is estimated at around $3 trillion, is currently being transitioned to either the next generation of their business, so their, their sons and their daughters, um, or it's being sold to someone else. So it's a, it's a big value that's changing hands at the moment. So, so you've mentioned the large co- uh, involvement of family businesses. Um, what makes family businesses different to others? Well, interestingly enough, it's the systems in which they work. And the thing is that they work within two systems at the same time. So most of us would be familiar with both systems, but we don't kind of look at them and think about them when we're talking about a family business. The business system within most within which most of us work is traditionally competitive, um, whereas a family system is protective. We protect those who are in our family and, and look after them. A business system is traditionally objective, whereas a family system is emotional. Mm. A business system is task-based, gets get things done, whereas a family system is often obligation-based. Um, I have to do this because it's mum and dad or it's my son and my daughter, whatever. Mm. A business system is focused on results, whereas a family system is focused on relationships. Mm. In a business system, we look for the best person for the job, whereas in a family system... Often status is allocated by birth rate, birth right. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. In um, a business system, we look at performance. You know who's doing the best job. Whereas in a family system, we look at loyalty. Um, I'm bound by commitment to these people. 
business system, we look at an outbound interface, whereas in a family system, an inbound interface. In business, we look at survival of the fittest, whereas in, in family, we tend to nurture and support the weakest. Mm. Then in a, a business system, we look at exploiting and encouraging change, whereas in a family, we minimise change. Let's keep things as they are and stay with the people that we know and the systems that we know. And one of the most significant, I guess, is that very often in a business system, employment is a right and competencies are required in order to gain employment. Whereas in a family system, employment is um, a right. I'm sorry, it should have been the other way around. Employment is an opportunity in the business system. Mm. Whereas in a family system, employment is a right and nepotism can be right. So the challenge that we face, Julian, is that these are the same people who are working within both systems, both the business system and the family system. And very often, it's not until it's pointed out to them that these are the challenges that they face, but they understand, oh, yes, this is harder than I thought. <laughs> so, so what are some of the major problems then with these conflicting systems for the family business? Well, some of the problems are around isolation. A lot of people don't realise that um, they are facing these issues and they think that they're the only ones that are until they get in with a group of people who, you know, have similar problems and they can talk about the issues that they face. I'll give you an example of, um, of, a, of a sibling couple who are managing a business that was started by their, their parents. It, it's a significant business in the food industry. And I was talking to the, the sister one day and she said to me that her staff had come to her and sort of spoken to her and said would they mind very much if um, she and her brother didn't fight in front of the staff? <laughs> and she said that she was taken aback by this because her relationship with her brother was that they fight. Mm. And I can understand that. Most siblings would understand that, and it's something that just happens and you move on. But in a business system, that's quite confronting and um, unsettling for a lot of the staff members, and they, they, they lose faith in the business, they lose faith in their job and their security, and it had never even occurred to her that this could be destabilising for the business. Mm. So, and yet when she spoke to someone else about this, she said, oh, oh gosh, yes, of course, we've been dealing with this for a while and we've learned how to put procedures in place so that this doesn't happen and we, we take our personal discussions into a soundproof room or whatever it might be. It's simple solutions, but really until it's brought to one's attention, one doesn't even realise that these things would be happening. Yeah. Are, are there some main concerns that family businesses face in Australia? Julian, um, interestingly enough, just today have I received the results of a, of a survey that we do every two years um, with KPMG. And it's been result, um, released today. I haven't had a chance to go through it in depth, but I went straight to the results of this um, major concern thing to see if I could find a major difference. And it's coming out over and over again that the important issues are balancing the family concerns and the business interests. Mm. So there is a, a real sort of conflict. There's a balance in there that needs to be achieved. Um, it largely comes down to communication between the family members. The ability of um, the incumbent leadership of the organisation to, to let go of leadership and ownership control 
and provide for the next generation that's coming on through. Mm. And for the next generation coming on through, it's how to take care of mum and dad or grandpa and grandma, whoever they may be, that are in the family who have had so much input into this family business and so much experience, but it's time for them to move on and for the next generation to take control. Mm. So the communication and the balancing of these interests that seems to be the main concern and the main impediments to the Mm. growth of these businesses. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time today, Wendy, and uh, we'll have a chat again in the future and maybe look at some more of those concerns. Terrific, Julian. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Wendy Foster there from Family Business Australia. Yeah, there's some major differences in running a family and uh, or family family business, and uh, just listening to those staggering statistics, seventy percent of uh, business in Australia. Time to have our chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. What a what a mixed day it is outside. One minute it's cloudy, the next minute the sun's out. So well, all, all weather. The weatherman says mostly sunny. So I hope it's going to be mostly sunny. Me too, because there's a load of washing on the line. <laughs> so now we're going to move forward, talking about moving forward with our business. Yeah, sure. So one of the interesting things or one of the interesting conversations that was had at the Front and Innovation Conference in Boston um, was all about how companies can move forward, but they should be doing it on two levels. So instead of actually becoming stagnant, which a lot of companies do, and then they end up in all kinds of you know financial trouble and, and they don't know where to go next because they're riding that crest of, we're busy, we're successful, everything's okay. Uh, but when that, that period is over and they need the, the, to reinvent the business again, there's some really good thoughts around there should, we should be moving forward in two ways. So one is that we should be constantly developing, as we know, um, about you know what's, what's coming up in the industry, how do we evolve, how do we go forward with what we're doing, what's the next incremental improvement. But we should also be looking for the next massive transformation. So what is the next big biggest thing in the um, in the industry that we're in. And I've got a really good example, or I think it's a really good example, from Johnson & Johnson. So roughly roughly 10 years ago, um, Johnson & Johnson re- reached a, a stagnant period um, and there were drugs that were coming off the patent and they kind of had no idea what they were, how they were going to keep going, moving forward. Um, so the first thing they did was they changed the way that they were doing drug discovery. What they did at that point in time is they hired new scientists and they decided to study selective diseases, so they really niched in what they were doing. They went to open innovation, they found good ideas on open source, um, and they implemented those, the scientists implemented those in, in the new discoveries that they were making. So that was, that was um, transformation number one, if you like. Mm. Transformation number two was that they realised they were making so much money from pills, um, particularly in diabetes. So diabetes has been on the increase. Um, and then with all the extra research that came in, you know, if you were 43 or over, that's when the greatest um, period time to get diabetes was. So what happened was they, instead of going, okay, well, um, let's just keep treating diabetes, because that's what they were doing in Transformation 1. They were coming up with new treatments in Transformation 1. Transformation 2 said, let's flip this completely and let's go into the business also of preventative so they were kind of going both ways because at one, you know, in the future, hopefully, what's going to happen is that diabetes will be cured. We're doing lots of work, you know, in um, DNA, etc., where the where diabetes is concerned. So hopefully, sometime in the future, diabetes won't be of a great health concern. So these guys go, okay, here we are moving forward in treating the disease, but also on the other on the other spectrum, 
what happens when the disease no longer needs to be treated. And we can look at things like that. I mean, Nokia is a blatant example of that, although Nokia seems to be reinventing itself right now, you know, going into smartphone technology. But Nokia came along, they had the brick phone, they didn't keep up with everybody else. Blah, nothing worked. They kept developing the brick phone, but they didn't exactly go to the smartphone when everybody else did. Now they're, they're coming back around that. So it's, that kind of is a is a example of where people just moved ahead with one aspect mm. of transformation mm. but didn't go, okay, well, what is the next thing? And that's what we constantly need companies to be thinking of, what is the next thing? Instead of being, oh, I actually don't like this saying either, but it kind of encapsulates what I'm trying to say. Instead of being um, disrupted, how do we then become the disruptor? And, of course, it, it's important to be not be stagnant because a lot of businesses, you know, get there and then they sort of sit there. Yeah, and they, they sit in complacency. And yeah. the other thing is, in order to do this, you need, you know, you need courage in order to choose to, to do to, and to take action. You need clarity in order to focus. So, like, you know, like the drug company did where they focused in um, on, a, on a particular niche and studied selected diseases, you need the curiosity. So you need to be able to explore. And curiosity doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to explore, I'm going to research to tick off a box. It means, like, get into the nitty-gritty, you know. Mm. If you find out a fact, find out where that fact came from. And then if you find something else, piece of information that's useful, go and find out where that came from and where do they all lead. And the, the fourth thing is really to have that conviction, you know, to conviction to, to keep going and to keep going in it, you know, to mm. keep going... Even if you come up against a blank wall and you go, oh, well, someone else is doing that, that's not going to work for us, what's the next thing? Yeah. You know, so it's that constant curiosity. And there's always change. Thank, thanks very much for your time again, uh, Christina. We'll have a chat again next week. Look forward to it, Julian. Have a great week. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there with uh, moving forward. And, yeah, we've got to keep moving forward uh, we can't just stay still, and as I've often heard, particularly Dale Beaumont talks about it, um, you're either uh, uh, green and growing or ripe and rotten. We've got time for a Harvard Business Review tip, and this one is delegate your work without fear of resentment. Despite the benefits, many managers feel uneasy about delegating work to their teams. One main concern is that your staff will resent the additional work. If you want to build a foundation for effective delegating, you can't just dump grunt work on people. You have to manage their expectations with open discussions. Let them know they'll get opportunities to do new and interesting work. Explain how new projects will expand their capabilities and that you'll support them as they make their own decisions. When you do have dull administrative work or a beastly project, such as organising uh, a cluttered image library, be upfront with it and acknowledge that it may be beneath your employees' abilities, but it has to be done. Give the reasons why, providing a larger context will, less, will lessen the sense of drudgery and motivate your employee to complete the work without resentment. So that's one of the reasons why we don't delegate too much. The other one is sometimes no one can do it as well as I can. So I think delegation is probably one of the big issues that many managers have. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at uh, the uh, family businesses in Australia and where the differences lie there with uh, Wendy Foster from Family Business Australia and moving forward. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll chat about innovation with Christina, have some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. 
I'd love your company again for Business, The Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Muhammad Ali cheekily once said, if they can make penicillin out of mouldy bread, they can sure make something out of you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.